Hi, I'm Mitchell, and you're listening to a Public Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this talk. Thanks for listening. Man, just what a great morning so far. Um, Can we just give a shout out to the lobby crew if we're in the room and tell them we love them? Thank you, guys. Online family, if, if, look, if we haven't met, my name is Todd, and I'm just so glad that we're watching, we're in the room. I want to start with this question, what is faith? So faith is something you're going to hear a lot around here and around other places and churches where people are talking about Jesus. So, so what is this thing called faith? And at the risk of doing something my fifth grade teacher taught me not to do, I'm going to make an assumption. See, when I was in fifth grade, um, we didn't behave super well when there's a substitute. And the day my teacher got back, she took a dry erase marker and she wrote on the board the word assume. And she drew some lines in certain places. And she showed us like, when you assume, here's what it does. Um, I don't remember everything about fifth grade, but I remember that uh, very vividly. Um, So I know that I'm taking a risk here. But at the risk of making an assumption, here's what I think about all of us, that we all are at least mildly interested in Jesus. That if you're watching, if you're in the room, there's at least some little part of you that's like, okay, I'm, I'm here, I'm, I'm, I've made it to this place, I've, I've tuned in because I'm, I'm interested in exploring Jesus. Otherwise, you're getting bribed and lunch is gonna be delicious. And hey, if that's why you're here, I'm all for it, that's fine. But most of us have some desire to know Jesus and this question of what is faith, it matters because we're gonna read today that says without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if we want to know who God is, if we want to figure out what it means to connect with him, faith is essential. Not only that, but Jesus was actually amazed by faith. There's very few things that in his life he was amazed by, but you can read for yourself in Matthew chapter 8, an eyewitness account. So Matthew was there when Jesus said, look at the faith of the centurion. He he was amazed by the faith of this Roman centurion. So, So faith moves Jesus. Faith is required to please God. So what is it? So I want to encourage you just to take a moment in your phone, journal, maybe just think about, just write down however you would define faith. Let's own this. Take a moment and do that. Go ahead and be finishing that up. Wanted to give us a few moments to internalize this, to write down our definition because as I was preparing, I realized what you just did is really hard. <laughs> it's like, well, how do I define faith? This really important thing that's key, how do you even begin to put definition and the words around it? It's really hard. And that's why in Hebrews chapter 11, we don't find a definition, we actually find something better. We find stories that show us what faith is. Like So if you have your Bible or Bible app and you want to go to Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to be there and we're going to look at some stories of faith starting today over the next few weeks because we need to know what it is. And these stories are going to help us see that. Um, We're in part two of a series called Public Stories. Last week, we started by talking about the story of the Bible. What is the overarching narrative or story that God is telling? And it's incredible that he is telling one story. After thousands of years and multiple authors of the Bible come together, there is one story. It's about Jesus, and we can know that story. And maybe today you just need to share last week's talk with a friend if you were here or go back and watch it because it's vital that we know the big story in order to interpret the smaller stories well. 
Because if we don't know the big story, we could misinterpret the smaller stories. So we need to know the story of the Bible. And so today, as we're thinking about stories, we're taking a step away from just the big picture to look at, well, what is faith? And what are stories of faith? And we're gonna have a definition, but I love definitions, yet here's what I know about them, that the stories we're gonna tell are probably gonna stick more than the definition ever will. Because definitions are good, but stories move us in ways that can help us understand the wonder of a concept like faith. So just to, as a launching pad, here's the definition of faith, or a definition for you. Faith is, is confidence in God proven by our actions. You could also say trust in God proven by our actions. How we define it, one thing is essential, and that it, there's got to be proof there's gotta be evidence. We don't really have faith unless that is demonstrated by how we are living. We don't really trust God unless we're showing our trust in God by how we live. So that hopefully helps us. And so what we're gonna do today is be in Hebrews 11, one through six. I'm gonna read it all and we'll go back and just walk through it as we begin a few week long journey of exploring these stories of faith to help us understand what exactly faith is. So Hebrews 11, one. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So let's dive into this as we ask the question, what is faith? And the first thing that we observe is that verse one is actually not a definition of faith. I always thought it was. Then as I began to dig into this, it's not a definition. Think of it more as a thesis or a vision statement for this chapter. So it's not this definition of here's what faith is. He's saying, hey, here's what I'm about to show you. I'm about to demonstrate through stories and help you grasp even emotionally what faith is. But first, there's a couple things you need to know about it. One of those things is we need to know that faith is a response. If you're here today and you're like, man, I'm struggling to trust God, or I just don't trust God, it's not up to you to muster up faith. What we do is we encounter God and then respond to him in faith. Faith is a response to who God is and all he has done. So we start with faith as a response. And then in this verse, it as it's casting the vision for this chapter, it's saying, here's what we're gonna see. We're gonna see that faith gives confidence to hope. We're gonna see that faith gives assurance, that word can be translated as a witness or evidence to the unseen. So faith gives confidence to hope. It gives evidence to what we can't see. And at this point, I'm kind of asking a question, how in the world does it do this? And what is our faith built on? And perhaps you've been told something like, just believe. Don't ask questions. Just kind of close your eyes. Or when you come to a place in the Bible you don't understand, then just keep turning and just have trust in God. That is not at all the story of the Bible. See, we need to know the overarching story of Scripture. A huge part of the story of the Bible is to do your research, to dig in. And we need to know that our faith is built on evidence. 
Our faith is built on evidence. And at the, the bedrock, the foundational piece of our faith is a claim by Jesus, a claim that he was gonna die and he was gonna rise from the dead. And then is his fulfillment of that claim. Maybe you've never considered that Jesus called a shot and then pulled it off. He predicted his own death and resurrection, and then he did it. To help us understand, do any of you guys like pickleball? Okay, I was about to say, some of you guys like pickleball. I mean, you're like, I'm going to play after this, ladder league. If you could hurry, I could get to ladder. Okay, I got you, Nolan. You know, uh, but the thing is, we love, some of us love pickleball. And imagine if you're playing pickleball with me, and I'm not that good, so this is not going to happen. But imagine if we're playing pickleball, and I'm like, hey, when he serves it, no matter where he hits it, I'm going to return it, and it's going to be a winner. Um, bottom, or the back left corner, it's going to hit. They won't return it. I'm going to drop it in within two inches of the, of the line. And then they hit it to me, and I just drop it in. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? I can't do that, by the way. But professionals can. If we're playing with professionals, they can actually tell you, hey, hey, watch this. I'm about to drop this shot here. And they have enough control to actually do that. But imagine if I said to you, hey, I want to invite you on May 1st, 2023, to go play pickleball with me. Here's the people that are going to be playing. And what's going to happen is on the fourth shot of the, the fourth serve of the game, I'm going to backhand and I'm going to drop it within three inches of the kitchen. And it's going to be right in that corner. And it's going to hit and it's going to spin and take three bounces. And it's going to be the game winner for the sixth game we've been playing that day. You'd be like, this guy's crazy. And then imagine if I did it. You'd be like, whoa, this guy predicted something a year from now. And true or false, if I predicted that, you'd probably believe everything else I said. From that point forward, when I was like, you should do this, you should do that, be like, all right, I'm in. I'm gonna do everything you said because you predicted something outrageous a year from when it happened. Exponentially, Jesus' prediction of own death and resurrection is so much bigger than that. That he predicted, hey guys, I'm gonna die and I'm gonna rise. I'm gonna die, I'm gonna rise. Hey guys, just letting you know, I'm gonna die and I'm gonna rise. I'm like, no, no, no. So much so that when he died and rose again, the angels were like, hey, he told you, don't you remember? He told you he was gonna do this. Jesus called his shot. Nobody does this. Nobody predicts their own death and resurrection and pulls it off. Nobody but Jesus. So I don't know about you, but my faith is built on that evidence. So for me, and I hope that some of you could say this as well, especially after today. For me, because Jesus called his shot, predicted his death and resurrection, everything else he says, I'm in. I'm yours. Whatever else you say from here, I'm gonna believe because of the evidence that my trust is built on. That's why faith gives confidence to our hope. That's why faith gives evidence to what we can't yet see. To help us even more in verse two, it says this, this is what the ancients were commended for. I love that it uses the word ancient here because it's letting us know that our faith is not brand new. Our faith does not just hinge on this little, small, local body in this local church. Our faith does not just hinge on, hinge on the, the, the churches in Cleveland, Tennessee. Our faith does not just hinge on all the churches in the entire globe right now. Our faith goes back hundreds, actually thousands of years. And this statement reminds me of something that I read in a book by Ian Morgan Crone called Chasing Francis. And then a character was speaking to another character and he said, hey, right now, what you can do is you can rent the faith of the ancients, my paraphrase. And so maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I, I'm struggling. Like, like my faith's just not there and I don't even know 
how to begin to respond to God. I don't know how to move forward my faith. You don't have to even look in this room. We can look back through the centuries and we can borrow faith, sustain our current faith from the ancients, from people who have gone long ago. That's one of the big reasons we read the Bible because we can look back at these true verified stories and we can see, man, if God led them through that, then he really is who he says he is and he's really gonna do what he says he's gonna do. So we reach back in an ancient faith, and we can borrow faith today and build on their stories. And then in verse three, it says, to illustrate, let's go all the way back to the beginning. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So what is seen was not made out of what was visible. If we're talking about the faith of the ancients, one of the pillars of Jewish faith in the Old Testament and when this was written was that God is the creator. That was one of the pillars of their faith, that they would reach back and say, you know what? In the beginning, God. We talked about this last week. In the beginning, God. And God created the heavens and the earth, that this is an ancient faith. And we can go all the way back and say, okay, who is God? And what is he like? Well, he's a God that loves us so much he makes us in his image. What is he capable of doing? Well, he's a God that when there was darkness, he spoke and boom, light overcame the darkness. And we can look back and go, you know what? Because we know that God is creator, we can have hope in the things that we can't quite see right now. We can trust in him. And then it gets into more stories. Verse four, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. So we go from Genesis 1 and 2 to Genesis 4, and some of you are smart, and you may be, well, all of you are smart, but I'm just saying, some of you may have figured out at this point, you're like, um, I'm not sure I want to get on board with this faith thing, because the first story of a guy, uh, he did. Uh, it didn't work out so well for him. So what in the world happened to Abel? Well, that's where we go to Genesis chapter 4. The end of verse 2, it says this, now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. These are Adam and Eve's sons. And so it says this in verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. If you're a parent and your kids have been fighting a lot, at least they're not killing each other, hopefully at least not yet. Um, in the very first family, there was murder. Cain is eventually going to kill Abel. And it's all about this offering. And if you're like me, I'm asking the question like, why does God choose Abel over Cain? Is God like, I'm just gonna test Cain. <laughs> or is God like in the mood for a steak and like Abel brought him a steak and Cain brought a salad and God's like, not today. I've already had my salad. What was steak? Like, like, what's really going on here? Well, the answer is in the text. In this story, what happens in verse four, it says there's fat portions. This is underlined in my Bible. I would recommend you underlining it. Fat portions from some of the firstborn of the flock. These are two very important details that communicate this. Abel brought God his best. What is faith? What does faith look like? Faith looks like this. We bring God our best. The reason God accepted Abel's offering and not Cain's was Cain just brought some of the stuff and Abel brought his best to God. Why are you able to bring your best to God? Well, verse six says that Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And what we need to do is believe that he exists and that he rewards those 
who seek him, who diligently seek him. So here's what we know, is that for Abel, he trusted that God would reward him. Now, push back immediately. You may say, uh, excuse me, he died. Where's the reward there? See, part of following Jesus is understanding that this world is not the only arena where God hands out rewards. It's not just this world. And so maybe our story of faith is not gonna end well. Not every story of faith ends well on this side of eternity, but we can trust that God will reward us. In fact, as we're looking at Genesis 4 and we go back to Hebrews 11, the author of Hebrews does something brilliant. Because when Abel dies and God calls out Cain for this, God tells Cain, your brother's blood speaks. Well, then in Hebrews 11, the author says, well, in Genesis, his blood was speaking, but now in Hebrews 11, his faith is still speaking. That his faith speaks through the generations as we're still talking about him today because he trusted God enough to bring God his best. So can we just look in the mirror for a minute? What are we offering to God? What are we bringing to him? If we have this confidence and trust in him, shouldn't we be bringing him our best? How often is it like, oh man, I haven't spent time with God yet. And so one more show, God, I gotta watch this last show. One more show. And then I promise I'll, I'll read for like four minutes as I'm falling asleep, but I just gotta get one more show in. Well, in that instance, what's really the most important? Who's getting our best? God, I recognize that, you know, your word says I'm a steward, okay? I'm not an owner of the stuff I've got. You actually have given it to me. But God, you got to understand I've been saving for this purchase and I finally got enough to make it. And then this bill came up. So God, I'm going to be generous towards you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give some money. But first, I got I to gotta get this purchase I've been saving for. I mean, you understand, God, and I've, I've got to, you know, make sure that are we really giving God our first and our best? What does faith look like? It looks like having the courage and the bravery to say no matter what is going on around me, no matter the result on this side of earth, I'm gonna bring God my best. And then we get the story of Enoch in verse five. And here's what it says about Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so he did not experience death. Don't just read past that. Do you guys get this? He didn't die. Everybody dies. Well, he was saying, let's keep reading. It says, he could not be found because God had taken him away. I'm just wondering, what was that search like? You know, they're like, hey, have you guys seen Enoch today? He was out walking around. He's like 365, so he could have gotten lost. He's getting a little up in age. You know, um, has anybody seen Enoch? Like, no, 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 let's look for Enoch. And then they're like, um, God, have you seen Enoch? I took him. You know what? I took him. No, seriously, God, where did you put Enoch? Did he die? No, no, I just took him. Okay, I don't understand. Let's keep reading. But it says that Enoch was just taken. For before he was taken, God just took him. It says he was commended as one who pleased God. I don't know about you, but this is a story I wanna know. So uh, Genesis chapter five, I'm like, what in the world is up with Enoch? What's going on here? So in Genesis five, we're seeing the rhythm of this list in verse 18. It says, when Jared had lived 162 years, yeah, they lived a long time back then. At 162, he became the father of Enoch. What? After he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived another 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived a total of 962 years and then he died. Here's the pattern. He died and the person before him died. The person after him doesn't die and then we resume the pattern. Dies, dies, dies. Everybody dies except for verse 21. 
When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. And altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. And then he died, right? No, Enoch walked faithfully with God. That's twice that's been repeated. Then he was no more because God took him away. Again, people, can you imagine this? Enoch and God are maybe literally like walking. And then God's like, all right, let's go. Boop, he's gone. This is great. This is why I read the Bible. It's amazing. It's interesting that it's like sci-fi. Like he was just gone. But what's awesome is that yes, Hebrews 11, the author mentions three times that he was taken because that's like super cool. But what he ends with is the most important thing. That he was commended as one who pleased God. Why did God just take him? He pleased God. Okay, well, let's, let's keep walking through the text. How did he please God? Twice, it says that he walked faithfully with God. Now, this literally could have meant that he went on a walk with God. But what it's speaking about is a lifestyle that he communed with God, that he was abiding with God, that he had an intimate, close relationship with God. I was talking to my friend, Ben Wells, last week, and Ben is a leader in the church we partner with in Romania. And Ben told me about a book that he was reading, and that book goes back to the Garden of Eden, where we were last week, and talks about how in the garden, Adam and Eve just had conversations with God. In fact, one of the ways we know that is when they sinned and they were hiding, it says, basically, God just came out for his evening walk with them. Like, hey, it's the end of the day. Let's talk. How'd your day go and everything? It's perfect. So it obviously went pretty good. You know, you're in the garden of delight for crying out loud, but let's talk about your day and let's process. And God's just coming to hang out with them. And, and then Ben asked me this question, is that what my prayer life looks like? I don't talk to Ben anymore. Um, <laughs> but so often our prayer life is just, yeah, I got this list, God, and could you heal this person? And you do this thing, and it's good stuff. Could, could you do this for me? I need your strength here. Do you ever have time to just be? That creates space to just have a relationship with God. And on Thursday night, after we put the boys to bed, I had to run an errand and go to Walgreens. I usually really like running those errands because I love podcasts and I get to listen to podcasts and I'm a nerd, so I like I have a list of ones I wanna to listen to that week. And so I had one that I wanted to listen to. I'm like, sweet, I get to go to Walgreens. I'm gonna to listen to podcasts. Except then I remembered that God had been challenging me to take one day a week and stay off all the apps on my phone, including podcasts, just to create space for Him. The only apps on that day are like things I need for work. So I'm like going to get in my car and I'm like, oh, I can't listen to it. And like trying to bargain with God, are you sure God, it's like past nine o'clock, are you sure this is still the day, you know? Or, you know, like, can I get out of this? And I felt like God was just like, you don't wanna spend time with me. And I wanted an agenda. And I think what I'm wired to want is that I could come out of that trip to Walgreens and be like, man, I got a revelation. Let me just tell you what God showed me. We got a new series coming up. I'm gonna speak on this. I got a word to share with somebody. Like I want God to speak to me when I create that space, but honestly, I have no idea what he said. I don't really remember anything about that time besides he just wanted to be with me. And clearly I'm not very good at that. So are we creating space to just be with God? As Micah likes to say, to just 
know God? And to tie this in with Abel, it's really hard to create space for God when we're not giving him our first and our best. Because when we bring him our first and our best, then everything else falls into place. But when we're just giving God the leftovers, how can we actually give him the space? And then when we actually give him the space, are we content with just being with him? Because what God is after is us, is our heart. There's a story in a book by Kerry Newhoff called At Your Best. And he talked about coming out of a season where he was just a workaholic. And he was so excited because he had made changes in life and he was gonna be at home for dinner with his kids. He had teenagers at the time. He was like, man, I'm a new person. God is changing me. I'm gonna be at home for dinner. And he asked one of his sons, he said, hey, what do you wanna do after dinner? And his son said, I'm gonna hang out with my friends. <laughs> and he was like, ah, I made all these changes. And he was expecting to have this incredible relational moment after dinner with his son and his son wasn't even gonna be there. But Kerry Newhoff's point was that if he didn't start creating that space of being home, then he wouldn't actually be home when his son didn't have plans. And so often for me, I just want to create that space and then God to show up and fill it and it's awesome and then I can keep going. Maybe God's saying, we just create the space over and over and over again because you just want to spend time with me and because Jesus came and he died and rose again to have a relationship with us. That's what Enoch teaches us. So what's the summary? The summary is Hebrews 11:6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now here's what this verse is not saying. It's not saying you can't doubt, you can't question. If you wanna have a relationship with God, throw those aside. No, it's saying bring your doubts, bring your questions, but there's some things that if you wanna interact with God, you've gotta agree on. Number one, that he exists. How are you gonna interact with him unless you realize he exists? And if you really wanna trust him, like Abel, we have to believe that he's gonna reward those who diligently, that's over and over again, habitually seek him. That's what it looks like to have faith, as demonstrated by the stories of Abel and Enoch. So, so here's our question. Our question for us is, how are we gonna tangibly walk this out? Like, like, what is a tangible action to grow our faith? To take a step and to say, okay, God, what does it look like to take a real tangible action to give you my first and my best like Abel did? What does it look like to just create space and give that to you? And here's what we need to understand about who God is and about how He rewards us. What God is after is our hearts. We have two boys, they're two and four. And what my relationship with them is built on is not just rote obedience. Do I want them to listen? Yes. Do I want them to obey? Do I want them to come? Do I want them to say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am? Yes, I want all of those things. But more than their obedience, what I'm after is their heart. And I am a flawed father and I mess up all the time. And God is the perfect father. And what he wants is us to trust him and give him our hearts because obedience should flow out of trust. And obedience without trust creates legalism. So what God is not saying is, you better give me 19 and a half minutes every single day or I'm coming for you and boop, you're on the naughty list. That is not at all what God's saying. God wants to put in us a love for Him, a desire for Him, so we just want to give Him that space. And it's gonna look different every single day. But where we're waking up in the morning and saying, God, here's my best. And then God, I didn't give you my best yesterday. Would you forgive me? Because you have grace that doesn't even add up that we sang about. 
but you still love me and you're gonna change me and you're gonna empower me to give you my best today because what you want, God, is my heart. So we take a step towards giving our heart. The public worship is gonna come up. They're gonna lead us in a couple songs to finish out our time. And this is gonna be space for us. We're talking about creating space. We're gonna give us some space right now. And I just wanna encourage us, wrestle with this. Maybe you wanna stand and sing right away, that's great. Maybe you just wanna sit, maybe you wanna journal. Maybe you wanna go back to the prayer corner and just sit or get on your knees and just reflect. What is a tangible action to grow my faith, to give God my best? What is a tangible action to trust Him enough that like Enoch, I'm just giving him space, space that's gonna please him. And if you don't follow Jesus, remember that this is not about anything that you could ever do, but it's about everything that Jesus has done. That this ability to have faith and respond to God and trust and have a relationship with him, it's all made possible because Jesus died and he rose again. So the first tangible step for you is to surrender for the first time. The word is repent. They have a change in mind that results in a change of action. A change in mind, God, my way is not working. It results in a change of action, so I'm gonna let you be my king. Let you be my leader, Jesus. Let you forgive me, because I cannot do any of these things on my own. And if that's you, just reflect on that. Talk to Jesus. There's no magic words. What we'd ask is before you leave that you just go back to our prayer teammates so we can pray over you, talk to you about the next step of baptism, and make sure that every step of your way, somebody is with you. And if you're online, what you can do is just email prayer at publicchurch.com so we can do all those things for you. And in this space as you reflect and, and give God a chance to speak, maybe one thing you wanna do is just be inspired by some stories. So if you're in the room, if you scan the QR code, if you're online, if you just go to publicchurch.com slash public stories, we have stories of faith. You could read about Pam. You could read about Addison. You could read about John all of whom are in here right now. And you could see, okay, well, Abel's faith and Enoch's faith, thousands of years ago, that looked, but how do I do that in 2022? You can read about stories of what it actually looks like to put our trust and confidence in God in 2022. So these resources, this space is before us. We have the discipline through the Holy Spirit to listen and the courage to do what he's asking us to do. So Jesus, I just pray. You would just help us to be still. That you would even supernaturally remove distractions. As we sing about who you are, that we would recognize that you are the same God that Enoch walked with. <laughs> you are the same God that Abel trusted and you would help us to see that and to take a step to trust you. Would you grow our faith, Jesus? Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to connect with you on any of our social medias at a public church or through our app or website, publicchurch.com. To give towards the vision of public church, you can do so through our app or website via PushPay or by texting public church in all caps and no space to 77977. Again, thanks for listening 